sacrifice, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Next passage is from Matthew uh, 6, 25 through 33. Matthew six twenty five. It says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on or what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not more va- of are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? It's the word of the Lord. We are in a series. For those of you who may not have been joining us, you are joining us in the middle of a series on part three of a series on stewardship. Stewardship means to manage and take care of something that doesn't belong to you. And if you believe in the Lord Jesus, that means that you don't own yourself. God owns you, and he paid, you, paid for you with a very great and precious price, the blood of his son. And that means all that is in your life actually belongs to him, and you get to manage it. You don't own it, and you will be called to account for it. Now, we're... Last week, and this last week, and this week, we're talking about the stewardship of time, which is the most precious, the most precious of commodities. Maybe you may think it's money, but it's not. <laughs> it's time. And today, last week, we talked about, I, I talked to you about how you approach your days, particularly with respect to your week, and how to look at your whole life and, in respect of a week, that there's patterns, six days you shall work, but one day you shall rest. Rest is something that starts not only because you're not happening to be at work, but just because you don't happen to be at work doesn't necessarily mean you're resting, right? Rest is something that starts from the mind and from the heart. It's a stop, and it really needs God. That's what we talked about last week. Today we we're going to talk about what it means to steward your life, particularly in its years and its seasons, in a little bit of a bigger scope, a bigger span. I'm going to do this in three parts. Typically, I'm going to do, this, do something a little bit different than I normally do, most of you guys who are regulars here, you know that I, I usually marinate in one text, and we usually try to you know, uh, you know, sift out the, the depths of that text. But today I'm going to you know, go look at multiple texts. The Bible talks a lot about, about time and days and wisdom according to this. And um, as I was looking at a lot of these verses, I was saying, well, I can't just pick one text here. I'm gonna, we're going to look at multiple. Um, and, and then I'm going to give you some practical stuff. So part one, biblical wisdom on time and life. And we're going to look at three different, I'm going to blitz through three different texts. Biblical wisdom on time and life. Part two, I've, I've entitled it, uh, it? <laughs> Practical Wisdom for Seasons and Years. Practical Wisdom. So I'm going to, in part two, I'm going to give you some, I don't usually do this as much, I'm going to give you some practical points of application. It is a series on stewardship, and that means you should learn to have practical things to do. <laughs> When, we, when, we leave, when you leave this building. And then part three, we need to talk about the why of living this way, which is that there's a God 
who makes time for us. Part three, the God who makes time for us. Part one, biblical wisdom on time and life. Um, let's, uh, let, let's, uh, let me just, this is sort of a, the thesis verse for this message. It's not a long passage, and it often doesn't get a lot of attention. But this is what it says, Ephesians 5. Let me read it again and quickly do, I'm going to just blitz through an explication of just portions of these, of these passages. Ephesians 5, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. No, just, let me just highlight this. Not just what you believe in your mind. Look at how you actually live, what you actually do, how you walk. Pay attention to the way you actually walk and live your life. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Just think about this. This is the Bible's assessment of the way Human beings, apart from God, apart from his wisdom, apart from his spirit, apart from the gospel, the way we handle our days, it's, it's blunt. It's evil. <laughs> and it's unwise. It's foolish. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Look, we live in a, in a society that's increasingly secular. And People may have some kind of varying interest of, of the things of God or what it says in the Bible, but largely, and this isn't just people who don't believe in God, who don't believe in the Bible, but lots of times people, even in the church, you know, with our minds and with, and, 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 with our, and with our doctrines, we give assent to the things that the Bible teaches. But oftentimes, in our hearts, they don't get a lot of importance. They don't get much in the way of priorities. And so, what is the will of the Lord? Not just what he says is right and wrong, but really what is his heart and his will? What is his will? And then do we order our time and our days and make the best use of it? Or do we are our days evil and full of folly? According to the Bible, I mean, okay. I'm going to say this uh, bluntly, and you guys know sometimes I can speak. The Bible thinks we're dumb. <laughs> we're fools the way we handle our days. And this is a call toward wisdom to come and live more wisely, to live in a way which really moves toward the will of the Lord and how we walk. It's just, that's the Ephesians. Um, let's go to Matthew 6, and, and I can't, you know, explicate the whole text. It's actually a tremendous text um, where Jesus says, why do you worry, or are you anxious about your life, what you're going to eat or you drink, whether you wear, how you, uh, what clothing you're going to put on? And this is what he says, and and this is a city, and I, I wanted to, to talk about this, and this is a city where we're filled, and all our days and all our time and all our hours are filled with this. The, the, how are we going to eat? How, where, are, where are we going to sleep? In other words, how nice our house is. Our clothing. How are we going to be clothed? And you're like, Pastor, I don't really, I mean, I, I'm not a person that worries too much about my clothes. Clothing. Um, some of you do. Some of you care very much about where you shop. But the way we're clothed, that's not only talking about your literal clothing. That's not what he's talking about. Do you know that we clothe ourselves with more than, than cloth? You clothe yourselves, you, you like to wrap yourselves with your, where you went to school. With your credentials. With your job titles. Where you've gone in your field. You like to clothe yourself with these things. We clothe ourselves with our dress. You know that even in this city, it, 
people kind of care what your address is. Hey, where do you live? And you say, you, you mention your neighborhood, and it immediately signals to people kind of where you are in the success and status food chain of our, of our life. I mean, if a person says, I live in Menlo Park, I mean, you immediately know, whoa, all right? Because houses start at a million dollars in Menlo Park, and then they go up to, I mean, just, you know, insane amounts, <laughs> way, way, way above that, all right? And so that's just a really obvious example of the way we clothe ourselves. But Jesus says, why do you worry about these things? And here's, here's the, and this is the, what tends to fill our days and fill our hours and fill our years and our seasons. But let me get to the, the, the latter portion. This is the part I want you to hopefully take home. For the Gentiles seek after all these things. Let, let, me, let me translate that. To a Jew, a Gentile is a person that doesn't have the scriptures. He doesn't have the, the covenantal promises. He doesn't have God. He doesn't have the history, the redemptive history of God. He doesn't have God's promise. So he, this person, so a Gentile to a Jew is a pagan. So let me say, put it away. Let me kind of, for the pagans, for the secularists, seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He knows you need clothes, you need money, you got a mortgage to pay. You got health insurance to take care of. He knows that, right? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will then be added to you. You know what that is? Seek first the kingdom of God. It's a very famous verse. As a boy, I grew up singing the song, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Do some of you know that song? But it's a nice song, but it's like a nice Sunday school song. But do you understand that that command from Jesus is is it should order your priorities. What should be a first in your life? God's kingdom. His rule, his reign, his glory, his goodness, his wisdom, and certainly his salvation and his grace. That should, that's a priority marker. And if that is a priority, that should shape your time, that should shape your days, should it not? Now let me say something to you, which I hope won't hurt too much, Okay. Your priorities are not shaped by the things you want and like in your head. You can say, this is what I care about. This is, these are my priorities. But that's not the way we really know a person's priorities. You know how you know a person's priorities? Where your time goes. This is the most precious commodity that you have. And whatever your heart, not what your head, but what your heart. Because your fears, your greed, your desires your hopes, your dreams, that's the stuff where your priorities will go. Wherever your time goes, that's where your priorities are going. And does your time reflect, does your days and seasons reflect that the kingdom of God is first? Does it? Does it? That's a hard thing to think about, isn't it? We, 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 we live in this vortex. Our sister Madi prayed in the first service, Lord, we, we wake up every day and there's so much noise being shoved at us. And the noise is all the stuff that Jesus says. Why are you so worried? Like the secularists and the pagans. Do you not hear my voice? That there's something far greater of worth. And your time and your energy has to go there. And it, you have to reorder your time and energy and your priorities. And it should reflect in your days and your years and your seasons. 
One more text. Um, if you have your Bible, go to Psalm 90. All right? If you have your app, Psalm 90. And there, like I said, there's so many passages in the Bible that talk about Psalm. And the Psalms, it's the biggest book in the Bible. <laughs> but really what the Psalms are, a lot of it, they're prayers, they're interactions with God. The Psalms teach us how to interact with the Lord. It's interesting, sometimes there's anger, <laughs> there's depression. It's a very honest book. God, people think that oh, this, uh, this religious book called the Bible is not very relevant. It's deeply relevant. Psalm 90 is about time, right? Um, let, me, let me just quickly try to go through this, this, the, the early portion. Psalm 90, verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all the generations. First of all, we are a part of generations. We Americans don't think that. <laughs> we don't even know how to think about what came, you know, one generation before us or two generations, before us, let alone think of generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. This is the perspective of toward time. There's a God. He's front and center. He's bigger than mountains. He flicks mountains like, like flies. He's from everlasting to everlasting. That's the right perspective. That should be right in front and center. Verse 3. You return man to dust and say... Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood, they are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, in the evening it fades and withers. Quickly, two things. One, your life is short. It's like grass, flourishes, then withers. Your time. You, some of you who are young who are thinking, like, I've got a lot of time with the Lord. I'm going I'm to live to many, many old ages. Let me just tell you, just talk to anybody 10 or 20 or 30 years older than you. They will laugh and scoff at you if you think you have a lot of time. <laughs> they know it's short. But here's the other thing. Your life, there's seasons when there's flourishing and there's withering. It's normal. You know, we have this idea that we think we can make everything perfect and then there won't be any brokenness and there won't be any hardship and there won't be any struggling or, or strife or, or sickness, but not true. There's flourishing, there's withering. That's true in the spiritual life too. There's times when our hearts are full and then there's times when our hearts are dry. That's certainly the case in economics. That's the case in our family relationships. Let me go to verse 7. For we are brought to an end by your anger. There's anger in the way the Lord looks at our, our years. By your wrath, we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. Let me just stop there for a second. Some of you think, my life isn't turning out as well as I'd like. <laughs> and some of you are like, why is there got to be suffering? Why is there got to be sickness? Why did this have to happen, God? Let me tell you something. The world and our lives and our years and our days, it's cursed. You know why? Because there's a rightful wrath and an anger upon us. Because the things that are pure and beautiful and eternal, we... 
We shunt them aside so little. Our days are evil. Our days are foolish. And so the general, when God generally looks at all of us, do you know what he sees in the way we run our days and our lives and our years and our seasons? It brings displeasure. And we're called now, we're called to something else. We're called to something else. Now, I'm not here to try to make you feel condemned or try to make you fearful because there is a good news of grace. But I want you to understand that when God looks at all the hustle and bustle of our days, I think about this a lot when I listen to the news. This is what the big shots in our society thinks is really important to report as news. And sometimes I'm thinking, is this really that important? (laughs) But it produces anger in God. I want to get to the verse that will wrap it up. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So we're going to be wise. You should understand there should be a proper fear of the Lord. And here's what I want you to take home. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. You must number your days. You should begin to put order and think about the whole seasons of your life. Now, who knows? You may, you may, I mean, I, I shared with you last week that according to certain government data, the, the, the average expected lifespan of, of, of uh, people in California is 82 to 80, 86 if you're an Asian, 82 if you're a Caucasian, apparently. All right? Um, and a little uh, less than that, apparently, if you're African-American, right? Um, but, but you may not get 82 or 86 years. But even then, even now, depending on where you're at in that span, you should begin to number those years and begin to have some expectation of what those seasons are, are going to be like or how you should begin to order and expect those seasons to be according to the heart of wisdom from the truths of the Scriptures. And that's what I'd like to do in part two of my message. In part two, I'm going to get a drink here. Part two of my message, I'd like to give you some practical, practical wisdom points, which I hope will help you, right? Um, and, uh, you know, you, you don't have to get all of it. If you just get one today, I'm going to kind of spill a bunch of stuff at you. But if you get one today, which will really help you, uh, I'm, I'll be really thankful, all right? The first one. I want to give you, the first one is put order and priority to your to-do list. Okay? Part, uh, first one is prioritize your to-do list. Now, um, many of you guys, I don't know how you guys keep track of all the things you have to do. Uh, I have a, a list of things that on my, I have an uh, app on my phone, and then, you know, I have these little categories, and once I'm done, I swipe it away, and it goes off, okay? But... Um, I'm going to give you an insight that, which I, I received from this book, um, which I enjoyed. Um, it's a book on leadership by Dave Ramsey. Anybody guys know who Dave Ramsey is? Dave Ramsey is a famous radio host. He's a Christian who runs um, a radio program where he gives financial advice. And I've listened to some clips of Dave Ramsey, and he has a kind of father's heart. And when people sometimes call in, he, he gets kind of pastoral. <laughs> sometimes he rebukes them toughly. But sometimes then he, he begins to move into their, he can starts to discern some of their weaknesses, and he gives kind of fatherly advice toward money. But um, this 
uh, a friend of mine gave me this book, and, uh, and he had this one takeaway, which I really liked and I thought was worth it sharing with you, which is this. Dave Ramsey says that in your, of all the things you have to do, you need to categorize them into four, four camps. He has four quadrants. He calls them quadrants one, two, three, and four. I call them A, B, C, and D. So I have my to-do list of A, B, C, and D. And let me just give them to you. Category A, important and urgent. Important and urgent. Category B, important but not urgent. Important but not urgent. Category three, three, or which I call C, is not important, not important yet urgent. So what's an example of that? Just um, for example, if, you, if, if a friend sends you a text and he's like saying, this is a really funny video, YouTube video. You ever get texts like that? I do sometimes. Let me tell you something. You may want to respond. You may want to click on that thing. And he, your friend may want you to respond right away because it's a text. And so it feels urgent, but it's not important, right? <laughs> it's urgent, but not important. Probably two-thirds, three-quarters, 80% of your emails have a sense of urgency, but they're probably not important. Hmm. Okay, Not important, but urgent. And then the fourth category, you can probably already guess, not important, not urgent. Okay? And um, what Dave Ramsey likes to say is, well, what is in the first one and the fourth one, those, those aren't too hard to figure out. So just for example, um, pay, your, pay your electric bill. That one's kind of in the important and in the urgent category. Because if you don't do that, guess what? Next month, you're going to flick the light switch and nothing's going to happen. All right? So uh, that one has a little bit of importance, maybe not the most important thing in the world, but it has some importance and urgency, right? And in the fourth category are things like, I, I shared with you last week that I have uh, more than 100 programs on my DVR, on my digital video recorder. Um, having all those programs and watching those programs, that's under the not important, not urgent, which is why I should delete a lot of them. And I did. I deleted a bunch of them last week, as I told you I, I wanted to do. Right? And so you know, what, what uh, you can probably already imagine, you should probably try to eliminate the not important, <laughs> not urgent things. You should do a, a few, I mean, you have to do some of those things because we have to rest, okay? But you should try to limit those things. And we need to do the first camp things. And then it's the third one, you need to start to limit those. If it's not important but it's urgent, I believe that in San Jose there's so many things that we do that calls forth a tyranny of urgency but it's not important. We have to start. And if you have an actual to-do list and you can begin to see it, you now, instead of just having a list of things to do, you actually should categorize them. You know what? That thing belongs in the third category. And if that's the case, hey, a lot of our friends, they're asking for us. They, they want immediate things from us, especially now that we're all plugged into each other. <laughs> and we have to learn how to say, to start disappointing our friends. Say, look, I know you want me to look at that video, but, and it's funny, and we'll have a nice ha-ha moment. Or, we, you know, you want me to keep up with your Facebook, but the fact is, it's not that important. And I'm sorry, we're gonna, I'm going to have to disappoint you, and we have to be less people pleasers and learn how to say no, because it's not important. We have to start to do less of the things that are in categories three and four. But, ah, second category important but not urgent. And let me just um, 
read a little excerpt from Dave Ramsey. This may be some of the most important use of your time. The things that fall in this category impact the quality of your life more than other stuff. Examples. Ah, so here's some of the examples. Exercise. Feeling guilty already? <laughs> uh, important but not urgent. Strategic planning. Goal setting. Reading some nonfiction book that may feed your heart and wisdom and soul. Or three. <laughs> Prayer. Now you should start, really start feeling guilty, right? Prayer. Feels, there's a tyranny of the urgent, so what drops off? Prayer. Uh, most of us probably have pretty lame and sad prayer lives. Doing your will or estate plan. <laughs> That's actually quite important. All of you young people, you're like, what are you talking about? Uh, okay. <laughs> Do your estate planning. Very important. Hmm? Saving money. He threw an interesting one in there. Um, uh, having your oil change in your car. Do you guys to delay changing the oil in your car? That's probably a bad idea, right? Going on a date night with your spouse. Let me throw a few more in there. Um, how about one-on-one -on -one time with your child? By the way, if your child is in their 30s or 40s, it still applies. <laughs> if you have three children like I do, one-on-one -on -one type of things actually very important. Why? Because they're going to go, well, my number one is really good in school, and number two is really athletic, but I'm not any of those, so what am I? You know how you tell your child you're still special? You are beloved. One-on-one -on -one time. Very, I think it's very important. Um, he goes on to say, we can all agree that things that aren't urgent but are important may be some of the most important activities we engage. The problem is we live in a society where the urge is to be in motion, frenetic motion, at all times, and it seems to be the spirit of the age. Is that not true? There's something about this, this category two activity that causes you to pause and let a, a breath out, sigh. Activities like the ones mentioned above are the building blocks of a high-quality life. Don't you want a high-quality life? That's what the Lord wants for you. I like this part, too. The interesting thing is, that is, is if you avoid Category 2 activities, eventually they will move to Category 1 and become urgent. If you don't exercise and eat right, because you just don't have the time... You will have the opportunity for time off when you need triple bypass heart surgery. If you don't have a date night and make sure relationship building is a part of your month, you will get time for marriage counseling, maybe for divorce. If you don't change your oil, eventually you'll get to buy a new engine. These not-so-urgent activities, when left undone, have a potentially large cost. So please save yourself two or three thousand dollars and go get your oil changed, okay? And then get your brakes fixed, whatever. Name, name those things. And those are relatively easier things to do. Annoying, a hassle. I know, I just did it this past week, not getting my, getting my oil changed. And it was, the whole time I was like, why isn't this done yet? <laughs> That's how I felt the whole time. Mm -hmm. um, 
A second piece of wisdom. There are seasons in your life. And at different seasons in your life, there should be different focus and different things that should, uh, that should come to mind. So let me just start with the young people first. Um, let me give you a, 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 what I think is a very important piece of wisdom for the young people. Please seek a really good spouse. <laughs> seek a godly, loving, joyful, patient spouse, or at least someone who's on their way to becoming godly, loving, and joyful, and patient, okay? You, you know, if they're on their process. And, and let me, the reason I want to say this, when, you, when you're in college, you know what you're worried about? Your major. And then when you're in your 20s, what do you think about? Either your grad school or your career, right? But if you talk to people 10 or 20 years older, you, you, they'll, you know what they'll tell you? You're probably going to do something that's not related to your major. <laughs> and you will switch your job, and you may even just hate your field. It was perfect for you when you thought when you were 23, but when you're 35, you're like, I can't stand doing this anymore. But one of the huge things that will set the quality and shape of your life is whom you marry. And if you talk to people who are older, they know this is true. This is hugely important. So you should invest time and energy there at this season of your life. And let me just, uh, just step back. For those of you who are a little older and you have younger brothers and sisters as we do it, 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 and you have felt relationships with them, they need help. <laughs> okay? These, okay, like you millennials, you guys are dumb. <laughs> and you guys don't know how to date. You guys don't know how to find a spouse. And you guys probably already know that. I've said that to millennials and they go, oh, that's true. <laughs> All right? uh, but they need help. They need brothers and sisters. They need wisdom. Guess what? They need encouragement. Don't you remember when you were 20 or 24 and you were so infatuated with this one person and this person didn't know you existed? <laughs> Isn't that a terrible feeling? Just like, I'm so in love with that person, but like, they, they don't even know I exist. Right? They need encouragement. Or maybe they just went through a relationship and it ended quite badly. They need encouragement. They need some hope. And older brothers and sisters. Or how about one other thing they could use from older brothers and sisters? How about some introduction to some quality people, quality prospects? You need to introduce them into a, a pond where there's some good fish. Okay? <laughs> so that they're not fishing around in a bad pond. <laughs> That's very, very common today. So in your season of this life, younger folks, you know, uh, put, please put priority toward a good spouse. Now, let me just say a little something. If you don't feel a need to, to you're like, you know, I'm pretty good. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not in a place. You're either in denial <laughs> or you need a, a spouse or maybe you have a gift to be single, right? But as soon as I talk about being a gift to be single, if you immediately have this reaction, what gift? That's a horrible gift. You don't got the gift. <laughs> you don't got the gift. You just need to go hang out with your older brothers and sisters, <laughs> Stop hanging out with your dumb, you know, millennial friends who are going to introduce you to their dumb friends, okay? You need some older, wiser, godly brothers and sisters who will start going, this is how you figure out if the person's a good fish. <laughs> or they'll say, hey, I know some good fish, okay? So this is some, some uh, for your, this season of your life. For those of you who are a little older, okay, maybe you're at the next stage, let me say something, and I hope this doesn't sound too offensive, but please, um, uh, please, please consider having children. <laughs> or if you're going through a stretch where you have little children and you feel like you have no life, 
it's okay. It's okay. It's okay to feel sometimes bent out of shape because your life is dominated by little children because they need a lot of attention. It's okay. They are your category one and two. And please don't, and it's okay. Just be okay with that. And, um, and those of you, maybe young couples who, who don't have kids yet, please consider having kids. You don't have forever to have kids. And by the way, it's not even just whether you can conceive children, which is a big issue today, of course. Right? But it's also, even if the Lord bless you with children, when they get to a certain age, if you wait till you're older, guess what? You will be older when they are older. You don't have the same energy. I want to go out and you know, play catch with my boy. He's 13, but I'm not so young anymore, okay? And so I'm like, I'm tired. <laughs> it's like, let's just watch football together. <laughs> and so that's, that's lame. That's the way it is. Right? Please think about this season of your life. Cater, put more priorities to these things. Okay, those who are a little older, next season of your life. So you start getting toward more middle age. I'm there. Okay, I told you last week I'm at halftime. Okay, I, you know, according to the, the, the life expectancy, you know, I'm at halftime. One of the things I'm finding out at, at, at around the halftime age is uh, my parents are aging. And my parents may get sick and they need me. Um, as you go into that stage of your life, you may need to realize you need to give them priority. You can't be thinking like, okay, by then I'm going to have made my money, and then I'm going to take all these super, super vacations, and then I'm going to watch all my uh, football shows, and my, and, my, and my latest installment of all, you know, I'm going to watch Netflix, and over the weekend I'm just going to engorge like 15 hours of my favorite TV show. Any of you guys ever do that? That's not a good use of time. <laughs> okay. Um, but as, as they grow older, you need to make space for them. The Bible commands us to honor our father and mother. Do you know that that doesn't stop when you're 18 years old? There's something in our culture that seems to think, okay, we raise them till they're 18, and then that's it. They're, now they're adults, and now we're just going to be peers. That's not true. That is not true. They're still your mother and father. You could be 60, and they could be 90, and you're still called to honor and love them. But they're getting frail. They're getting needy. And we need to have expectation to have space and priority in our lives for them. And they, and they can get kind of crotchety and annoying at times. Come on, those of you who are older, you can admit that's true. Right? And lastly, for those who are in the, in the more senior age camp, right? let me just offer this piece of way of, of, your, of, uh, of some wisdom. of your. Please um, uh, be more patient. <laughs> Because we get set in our ways, and we like it the way we like it. I'm already starting to get there. And we think, oh, this is the way we've always done it. These guys don't know. That's not true. (laughs) Just because you did it your way in your playbook, that doesn't necessarily mean it was wise. So have humility to the younger generation. I'm talking the younger generation, whether they're 40 or whether they're 20 or whether they're 6. Have humility toward them. Um. In, in uh, uh, yeah, I hope my father never listens to this sermon, so I'm going to tell you about my dad, right? <laughs> with my dad, uh, between my mom and my dad, my dad is the one I butt heads with, and many of you guys know this. He's, he, he's the one who gets crotchety, right? And um, if he ever had enough humility, I hope you can hear me say this to him, right? Um, 
But you know one of the things I have to do now that I'm at this stage of my life and he's at his stage of his life? My dad is becoming frailer, but he's also becoming a little more ornery and more crotchety. And one of the things that I and my brother and my mom, you know what we do? We kind of manage my dad. (laughs) And I don't mean that in a mean kind of way. When my dad is in a good mood, he's the sweetest, coolest guy. He's great to be around. But when he's not, oh gosh, I I wish I was far away. And he can sometimes get angry and pull out the verbal knives, and he knows where to stick that knife. And that is the last thing I want my dad, I do not want to see verbal knives come out because he knows where to hit me with those things, and it hurts. So my brother and I, we kind of, before he starts sinking toward the bad mood, we start to manage him. (laughs) He doesn't know that we do this. But when I was a younger buck, I would just fight him. (laughs) But now I realize I have to find a way to love him. And, um, and I wish he would say to me, and this is one of the things I'd like to say, those of you who are older, in, your, in this season of your life, you may not have a lot of time. Those of you who are middle-aged, you don't have a lot of time with your parents. For those of you who are older, you may not have a lot of time with your son, your daughter, your grandson, your granddaughter. I wish my father would say to me, son, I, I, I need you. I wish you would come over and spend some time with me. You know, I need you. That's not how he says it. You know how he says it? He says it in this kind of passive-aggressive, mean way. He says to you, well, you and your wife are so busy, you know, you never come around and see us. You know, like, you're just so busy, you never spend time with us. That's what he says. And I'm like, that was, why'd you have to say that? (laughs) I'm like, why don't you just say, I miss you. I need you. Because it's hard for him to be vulnerable to me. But if he did, man, it would deeply, deeply move me. And actually, my dad, if we go over to his house, my dad you know, pays attention to the kids for about 10 minutes. <laughs> so he's not even good. But you know what? He, he pays attention to them for 10 minutes, but for the rest of the day, you know, we may be at his house for two hours. He pays attention to the kids for 10 minutes, but for the rest of the day, he's happy. And uh, he may, like, annoy me after the first hour. But that's part of the season. Seasons. Okay? Um, A third point, which I hope you will take to heart. This morning I shared with you that we have a sister whose father has a brain aneurysm. Um, I would like to ask you, Create margin and space in your time for weakness and hurt and suffering. And this is going to actually ramp up. As you grow older and as you, have, as you know more people and as you go closer to more people and as the people around you grow older, there will be more weakness. There will be more frailty and suffering. And so please, look, we, we, you think... You can wake up and live an 18-hour day and then crash for six hours. Some, I know that's how some of you guys are doing it. And then the next day you're like down in the coffee. Huh? Um, that's how you guys think you're doing You think you have, you have this long to-do list and you're going to jam them into that 18 hours. But you know what that means? That means there's no margin. There's no space. So then as soon as somebody hurts, the bottom drops on their life, everybody, we all feel so alone. 
Because now we feel like I'm going to impose on their life because there's no, they're so busy, there's no margin in their space. And so now we're all lonely. Is, there, is, there, is it really surprising that there's so much depression in our society? They're hurting people. They're lonely people. And we are all running this massive, super busy thing, and we're trying to shove our lives, and, and, but there's no margin and space. Few, a couple months ago, our brother John, he, he got some really hard news about his father. Sudden heart attack, and he went into a coma. He's an intensely busy guy. <laughs> Do you guys know that he is really good at his job, and it's a busy job? He loves our church, so he like, expends energy to serve our church, and he tries to be a good husband and father, so he's, like, doing, he does stuff for his kids. And then on top of that, he, he threw in an MBA. <laughs> Let's just throw an MBA in there for good measure. But, but the Lord made him chop out a couple weeks of his life for hurt. And then it wasn't just him. A number of us, um, I and one of our old friends, we got into a car and we drove many hours to go be with him and be at his father's side since his father was at a coma way in Southern California. And let me tell you, that time, I did not consider an imposition upon my life. I consider that a very, very important time. I treasure that drive. <laughs> I treasure those times when we wept and we prayed. Right? And it was one of the great um, honors for me to officiate John's father's wedding and walk with him. Hmm? Funeral. <laughs> <laughs> Officiate the funeral. That's, like, that's, a weird, that's a weird thing to pop up. Funeral. Um, okay. <laughs> we just get back. Um, and it was a painful time. John's father was sort of like a distant uncle to me. He treated me like, like, like a nephew. And yet that period, and we would walk with our brother in his grief. That is such an important period. It is a tremendously important time. And I ask you, create space and margin. And as you grow older, please be more and more mindful of that, margin for weakness and hurt. One last piece of, uh, of, of wisdom, and then I'll get to the final portion of my message. Right? And that's to seek ye first the kingdom. Bring the kingdom and two practical points on this. Number one, um, please don't cut short your church. And I'm not talking about the church as in religious observance. I'm talking about the family, the people of the church. Give them energy and time regularly in your life. And we know, at least in our church, we try not to suck people in and like make them feel guilty for doing, you need to do more. No, 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 no. We, we very much try not to do that. But, I want to ask you today, give time to your brothers and sisters to laugh with them, to cry with them, and then, of course, be with them when they hurt. And then they will be with you when you hurt. Worship and drink in the gospel. And the other second um, piece of wisdom on seeking the kingdom, seek your missional purpose. 
You all have some special way that God made you, wired you, that you, if you would go find this, it would, it would overfill your heart. And you would do this for the most eternal, glorious king. And this work that you do, this way that you contribute, would be an eternal reward. And this is not an easy thing to, to discern. And it takes time. It, is, it absolutely falls into that second category, important but not urgent. And it takes time to figure this out and discern this. And just, just to give you an example, um, um, <laughs> well, the, years ago I was watching this documentary on TV. And, it had a, and they were talking about ways to contribute into the community. And it, there was one story of an older gentleman, I think he was in his 70s or something like this, and he, he was Caucasian, he was gray, and he was a shorter guy, and he, and he had a limp, he, had, he, he required a cane. But, and he lived in one portion of the city, which was a, a nicer portion of the city, but every week he went into a poorer portion of the city. And he volunteered for a literacy program. And every week he would sit... And in that portion of the city, they, everybody was black in that portion of the city. So imagine, there was this, he, he would get, he couldn't drive anymore. So he would get on a bus, and then he would walk, hobble a couple blocks to get to the literacy center where almost all the kids were black, and he would sit with a young black man, a boy and teach him to read. And he started doing this when he was about 60 after he retired. And he found out that he just loves it. He said, it's funny. After I started doing this, um, I've had more energy. I, I started, I actually had more physical strength. I had more joy. I wouldn't miss this. It's like, I, it's just an honor for me to come to this. I don't know if he was a Christian. But maybe the Lord will call you to something like this. And you don't know what that is. So many of you young people are like, I'm going to find the perfect job, and it's going to just be, that's it, you know, and I'm going to make this difference. But let, let me just, I don't want to pop your bubble, but those of us who are a little older, you know, a job is sometimes just a job. Huh? It won't fill your heart. And maybe that's not the place. And I, if you do have a job, I mean, I have a job that I actually, where I definitely get to make kingdom impact. And, of course, it's still a job, guys. I don't like every part of my job. I like this part the teaching and the preaching. That's why it's so long. <laughs> okay? <laughs> so long because I like this part. Okay? And, um, and I'm thankful to you that you endure this verbose, you know, foolish guy, right? Who talks too long. But, and if you get that, that's wonderful. But many of you, you may not get that. You just have a job. But maybe there's some other place the Lord could use you in his kingdom. And you'll find that God's wired me to have this mission. Let me close out my message. Part three. No, 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 no. Right? Um, part three. The God who makes time for us. I've uh, thrown a lot of things your way about things you can do and change your life. And for those of you who are regulars at our church, you know that I don't normally give you a lot of to-dos. I don't usually give you, I gave you a lot of what to do's, and I don't usually do that in most of my preaching. Let me close my message with the why. Why you should want to begin to take some of these wisdom points and reorder your time and your seasons in your life.
and your years this way. Look, in this city, we have this dream that we chase. I'll be healthy, I'll get the grades, I'll go to a good school, I'll make good money, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll buy this ridiculously expensive house, and in the future it'll make me rich because, you know, the, the equity will shoot through the roof. And then I'll get the stock options, and I'll have the, I'll have the perfectly healthy and pretty wife or husband, and then we'll have the, the perfect kids. And then, and then of course, we're going to work, work, work. So our lives are filled with work, and then we have our time off, and then in our time off, we want to have fun. We have all our TV shows and the movies and, and these fabulous vacations that we want to take, or I don't know what you want to do during those times. So it's like work and fun. And if we get maximal, perfect work, and then maximal, perfect fun, and then somehow we fall in love somewhere in there, then we'll have had a really great life, right? Wrong. Let me just tell you, that's not true. You have lived a perfectly boring life, and you will probably grow increasingly selfish and probably prideful and arrogant. God, when he made human beings, human beings were made to be, we were made in his image. The design of who you are, what you are, is to be in God's image. So if you want a full life, your life is supposed to come back and reflect him, reflect his image. If you want a rich, meaningful, joyful life, your life has to come to find and reflect him. And let me show you so how, how, who is God like. God in eternity, there's no sin, there's no stupid people, there's no cancer, there's no cars that break down. There's perfect unity between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Perfect wisdom. Nobody's screwing anything up. And He doesn't need us. But then you know what He did? He made creation. And then He invented time. And you know what time is? It's space. It's space for us. And then He invites us to come and spend time with Him forever. He didn't need to be around these weak people. He didn't need to be around selfish morons who are constantly thinking about their idolatries and their money and their comforts and my success and my perfect kids and all this other stuff. He didn't need to do it this way. But you know what he did? He made incredible margin. The ultimately rich and omnipotent God came down and he spent time with a lot of dumb people. He moved into their weakness. He endured their, their sin and their sorrows and their stupidities. And he ultimately came and he set aside time to go to the cross. Listen, if you get all your perfect life, your so-called perfect life, let me ask you this question. You're perfect. Your wife is perfect. Everything around you is perfect. Your house is perfect. Mortgage is paid off. Everything is perfect, perfect, perfect. Great. Okay? Let me ask you something. How will you know how deeply people love you? Because they say so? You're so perfect. <laughs> I love you. Well, maybe they loved you because you're so good looking. <laughs> maybe they loved you because you have money. Maybe they love you because your parents were nice. Huh? Maybe they stay with you because... Well, hey, as long as I stay with you, 
I get to go to Hawaii. (laughs) How do you know when somebody really, really loves you and makes space for you? Only when there's hurt. Only when there's weakness. When someone has to sacrifice and set apart and make time for you. The God of the universe, King of kings and Lord of lords, on that cross, he said to us, the weakest, the most frazzled, the most foolish, the most idolatrous, I love you. I make time for you. I make an eternity for you. And if you will live for him and order your time for him, your eternal time for him doesn't start after you die. It starts today. And your heart can become wise And you can begin to image and reflect God. And you can have a rich and full and deep life. That will be more joyful, more meaningful, more good and beautiful than you can ever imagine. That's the will of God that we must take in to be wise. Let's pray. A foolish people are we. We're living for temporality, constantly enslaved by the urgent, including the unimportant things that are urgent. Father, forgive us. And I pray, Lord, we plead Jesus, his perfect obedience, his deep humility. We thank you that he gave us margin so that your anger can be quelled and upon us your great patience to a a stupid people that waste days and time all the time. Lord, we may live 70 or 80 years, but I pray that the quality of our 70 or 80 years would start to be something of heaven, something of grace, something of wisdom, which flows from the heart of Jesus the power of his resurrection, the greatness of his sacrifice, the richness, the riches of his blood to give us a life which we can never make and earn and achieve on our own by grace, by your power, by your wisdom. Pull us and draw us toward yourself. In the days and weeks and seasons ahead, would you make for yourself a a wiser people a beautiful people that shines and reflects your kindness, your beauty, your margin, your wonder. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.